Well, hello, Why God, Why Tribe. We are here to answer the questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in church. Uh, today, we are with our illustrious producer, Dylan Carnival. We're also here with our uh, excellent co-host, John. And as John would say, I'm yeah. stupendous. So we'll yes. go with that. My name That's is Peter true. Engler. That's true. You said excellent, kind of like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure right there. So Hey, got to love those 80s. Um, yeah. <laughs> so today we have a very special guest. Um, I've been following him for a while. His name is Dr. George Yancey. He currently is a professor at Baylor. Um, and the question that we're asking him today is, why does the election bring out the worst in us? And I think one of the things that drew me to George is... The fact that he is able to talk about the issues without being polarized. And I, I give a lot of people credit when conservatives and progressives are actually critiquing you. You're probably somewhere right where you should be. So mm. I'm looking forward to that. But going with this question, uh, by this point, this is a week before the election. Yeah. There's probably been a lot more posts, a lot oh. more you know, people upset. John, what do you think? Man, I I just I remember the day when like the biggest form of political discourse was like lawn signs, like that was that was that was as you know divisive as things got, um, in terms of like you know individuals expressing things. That was kind of like your lawn sign was your way of saying who you were voting for. That's still a deal. People still have those out there. I'm sure this week there's you're driving by a ton of them, but now it's like like Facebook is one big lawn sign and they're and the lawn signs argue with each other and uh you know it's all over the place and then you got 24 hour news that's arguing back and forth about each other and depends on which station you listen to you're you're hearing this side or that side and and uh we're just in the midst of a really emotionally draining time I think for a lot of us and so I know that a lot of us just want to push the pause button and 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 ask this question, you know, why does this bring out the worst in us? And uh, that's why I'm so excited to, to have our conversation with uh, Dr. George Yancey today. I think it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Well, George, let's get us started. Um, you know, when you think of the worst reaction, and it doesn't have to be Democrat or Republican, it could be, you know, what are some of the things that really bother you during this political season? You know, I think the things that bother me the most is when we uh, uh, treat the other side as if they're less than human. Mm. And of course, you know, we can find examples both ways of which this happens. And and some of the some of the memes, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the memes. <laughs> the meme, the, the meme could have this tiny grain of truth to it, uh, but it's just so simplistic, and it's the opposite of critical, nuanced thinking. Mm. That, uh, that you know, I, I hate the meme because the meme is really is just like a mean way to get a dig at at people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and let, a lot of people's minds don't get changed by by mean statements and mean memes and, and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, we just dive into it more and more. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's part of what I really don't like uh, on October. I mean, I'm sorry, November, what, 4th or whenever I'll take a sigh of relief mm. uh, and say, OK, well, at least for a couple more years, we will have to endure that level of toxic, toxic uh, conversations that we have. Mm. Yeah, you brought up the memes. That's a that's a really that that's something that's really taken off in the last couple of years. Do you happen to have teenagers? I should have asked you that ahead of time. 
Or is no, it, I do not. No, you do not. Well, yeah, I mean, but like my, I have a couple of teenagers, and uh, one of them the other day, the the president of Great Britain was on TV. And uh, she goes, oh, I know that guy. He's from the memes. <laughs> so like there's a the memes are an entire country in and of itself. It's like a whole nother world, the memes. So, yeah, you bringing that up, I think, is a really <laughs> interesting point. Uh, yeah. yeah, I once, I once uh, posted on my Facebook, uh, memes are the critical thinking like cotton candy is nutrition. Mm-hmm. You know, just to make a point, and then someone turned that into a meme. So I guess you can't get away from it completely. But uh, I... I mean, if you ever if you ever see a meme posted on my Facebook wall, you know I've been kidnapped, uh, and somebody else has got my code because I just I just don't do that. Uh, that's really fascinating that you brought up memes into that because I wouldn't I I hadn't thought of that about a, as a form of discourse, but that's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things you know that we're finding, and again, one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you was. Uh, it seems like the loudest voices are the extremes. And so I, I just would be curious of your point of view on that and where that's led us. And I, I guess I feel like I'm wrong about this, but I feel like there's a silent moderate majority. And and, and again, I just don't know how to kind of rectify that because I feel like in this election, it seems to bring out the worst extremes in us. I don't know. How are you processing over that? Yeah, there's actually some, uh, there was a, a survey, I want to say it's about a year ago or so, where they talked about the excluded middle, which, and I'm not exactly sure I remember the numbers exactly, but I think it's like 30, 40% of the nation fits in the excluded middle. Mm-hmm. I may be off, so mm-hmm. please, but it's substantial. Mm-hmm. And then on the extremes, you have the extreme left and extreme right, and, and, and they're there as well. So my best guess is that if we were to break it down, I think it breaks out to a, about thirds. Mm-hmm. A third that are on the extreme left, a third is on the extreme right, and a third that's in the middle. And, and in the middle, you may lean one way or the other, but you're not engaging in the combat the way the extreme left, extreme right is. Mm. A lot of people in the, in the middle, they don't engage in combat at all. Mm. And so when we're listening to voices, it's those on the left and the right. Now, here's another interesting dynamic, and I just read an article on this earlier today. Uh, the more partisan you are, the less likely you are to have friends who are of the other political persuasion. Mm-hmm. And that makes a certain amount of sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're really partisan, if you're, if you're a big Trump apologist and Trump this, MAGA that, everything like that, you probably don't have a lot of liberal friends, and the reverse is true. Mm-hmm. If all you're talking about is resistance and how horrible Trump is, you probably don't have a lot of concern. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Here's why, that, why that's so interesting, though. Research has shown the more we're around people who already agree with what we already believe, more around those people, more confidence we have in our beliefs, and the less likely we are to consider that our beliefs might be wrong. Mm. So when you're looking at the extreme left, extreme right, around people who think like them, we know that Facebook and Twitter is set up to feed them more of what they're asking for. So if they're they're looking at, uh, I don't know, Ben Shapiro destroys firm action, and they click on that, they're going to get more carnally destroys mm-hmm. racial quotas. They're going to they're get more and more of that. And, and likewise, on the left, that, that happens too. We know that that happens. Mm-hmm. So at the extremes, what you have is individuals who, are, who are, have friends who think like they do. 
read articles to support their own perception, can't conceive how they could be possibly wrong. And so when they encounter ideas that are different from their own, it's not that these people are wrong, it's that these people are evil. Mm. And that is why I think we see the toxicity that we do have. Mm. is because we've created these silos. And the right likes to talk about silos the left is in. Fair enough. Mm. The right is in those silos too. Mm-hmm. We create these silos in which we don't contest with other ideas. And you can contest with other ideas and still think that your idea is right, but then you have a sort of humility that other people may think a different way, and they're not necessarily evil or wrong or bad, they're, they're different. You, you can have that sort of perspective, but that's lost in the extremes. Hmm. And that, I think, is part of why we have the problems we have today with our discourse, with our rhetoric. Yeah, man, that that is so worth pressing into a little bit. So what do you think? What do you think? What's the what's the driving force behind that? I'm, I'm sure yeah. there I'm sure we could give a, give a few things maybe. But but according to the way you see the world, like what are some of the driving forces, maybe one, maybe two, whatever, that are driving that divisiveness? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And now I have to play Mr. Super Duper Sociologist. Yeah. In order, in order to really explain this. Totally. Okay. Hmm. If, I, it, it's hard to argue, are we, wor- are we more polarized now than ever before? We had a civil war. We actually got, took up guns and shot each other. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe not. Maybe that's a more polarized time. But we are really high in polarization. Mm-hmm. Why? If you think about it, the way we used to be able to community was people around us. So if you lived, if you lived in a certain town, your neighbors, people you went down the street to see, maybe people at your school. And they, and you may kind of agree a lot like you live in the same city, but you had different ideas coming in. Mm-hmm. And so you may have strong feelings one way or the other, but you also interact with other folks. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we build community today? We've moved towards a, towards a place. And this is not just because of the internet. The internet obviously exacerbated this. Mm-hmm. We were already doing this through telephones and, and other types of communication. Now we're building ideological communities. So that now on the internet, your community is not the next door neighbor. Your community is the person who agrees with you halfway across the world. Mm. And you can reinforce one another. And then you get the algorithms that reinforce the material that you're consuming that tells you you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Mm. They get what we have today, where we have groups of people who cannot conceive how someone can disagree with them. Mm. And those, the only reason why they're disagreeing with them is that they're evil or they're 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 insane or they're well, however you want to phrase it. And they don't encounter those people, so they don't humanize them. Yeah. And thus these beliefs develop. So part of it is just the development of modernization and urbanization has created these ideological communities, which I believe has created more and more polarization in our society. Hmm. You know, what I'm curious about, too, and when we have a professor on, so one of my favorite documentaries that I've watched um, is it's about in the 1960s with uh, it's on Netflix. It's on Gord Vidal, who kind of represents uh, being liberal and William H. Buckley, who represents being conservative. And it seems like back in the 60s that you had these two individuals starting to debate. And it it seems like that was planting the seeds to not just politics as a way of life or practical life, but politics as entertainment. And so I'm just kind of curious 
you know, as we think about why it brings out the worst in us, how much do you think as a sociologist, this has to do with politics as sport as opposed to the management and function of a country? Yeah, I do think sport's a good analogy. I, I, lo- I love what you do on your Facebook page with the uh, comparisons of who's who's the best in this. <laughs> I have a non-sports, uh, I have a non-sports comparison you may want to try. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Uh, I, I think it's about teams. Hmm. You know, you're, you're on the blue team or the red team, hmm. and you. I know I work at Baylor, but I'm still a Longhorn fan. Mm. Mm. Wow, so, that has to be painful. It was last year, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very painful. Yeah. And last week was not a good week for us. Yeah. But anyway, what happens when... And, and here's where I am not, Mr. I try to be balanced. When mm-hmm. I'm watching Longhorns, it's like Longhorns all the way. Mm-hmm. I want them to win. I don't care if the rest cheap. We got to yeah. get the win. Yeah. <laughs> And, and when I watch a play, you know, I, I go, by golly, why did you throw that flag? Or why did you throw that flag? Mm-hmm. It, it is my team. And in a sense, now I'm not talking about if they go out and about and engage in violence or, you know, off the field. I'm mm-hmm. talking about on the field. Mm-hmm. My team can do no wrong. Yeah. Except if they don't score. Mm-hmm. My team <laughs> is in the right on all the decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I see things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's how I do it in sports. I think we're doing this with politics. Mm-hmm. My team can do no wrong. My team, the only thing they can do wrong is not score, not win, not get the win. Uh-huh. Other than that, they can do no wrong. And I think that's what's happened. And so I think the analogy, the sports analogy is, is, is an apt one. When you think about it, I, I would say, you know, as sport, yes, but it's not as, per, as a participant in sports. As a watcher sport, it's not ah, as that. Mm. It's you know we're on the team too. Because you think about it, when I go to a football game, I'm not getting sweaty unless mm-hmm. the sun's out and I'm I'm in Texas and Austin in the summer. I'm not getting sweaty. I'm not I'm not hitting anyone. Mm-hmm. But in politics, I get to, at, at the very least I get to vote, mm. and sometimes I may even send money in. So I'm actually participating in my team, and they can do no wrong. Mm. And this is, I think this is the source of hypocrisy and this is the source of dehumanization. And this is a big source, the sort of my teamism that we have. Mm. And it's driving our politics right now. And it, I think it could have some very dire ramifications. I, I don't know about you all. I'm worried no matter who wins after this next election, because mm. I don't know what our country is going to do, especially if it's a close election. Could we survive a 2000? election right now i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know what that means right so i have some concerns about what's happening yeah that's one of my questions that I, that I was thinking about for you as we were anticipating this conversation is like imagining that you have a crystal ball and imagining what the other end of this election looks like like as you see it now from your seat and obviously you know, even as we're recording this conversation, the election is taking place because, you know, people are voting online now uh, or not online, but voting absentee ballot now more than ever before. So that's actually happening. Um, but how would you what do you anticipate is the other side of this? You do you think a 2000 
kind of outcome is a possibility in this? How do you, if so, how does that, how does that practically play out if that happens today? Sure. Let me say as of right now, uh, October 9th, mm-hmm. if I was, if you asked me to predict the outcome of the election, I'll predict that Joe Biden win. Mm-hmm. Okay. Based on right now. That, could that change? Sure. Of course it could change. Yeah. But that's my prediction right now. Mm-hmm. But what if, and I would predict, I would predict right now a a significant, I won't say landslide, but at least a significant way where it's pretty clear that he won. Mm-hmm. That's my prediction as of right now. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'm going to be looking foolish by the time this comes out, and that's sure. fine. Yeah. But what if it's close? Mm-hmm. What if he wins because of Florida or of Ohio or Michigan, where it's razor thin? What will happen there? I think if it's a sizable, doesn't have to be a landslide, but a sizable Biden win. And Electoral College in mm-hmm. 2016, Trump had a sizable win. Mm-hmm. In Electoral College. There's mm-hmm. no one or two states. You could take a couple of the states, give them to Hillary, he still won. Mm-hmm. So he had a sizable win. If Biden has a sizable win, chances are for at least a little while, you know, there'll be some legitimacy. But I am concerned by some of the things Biden's talked about doing or not talked about doing that could take away that legitimacy, and that could be problematic. Mm. If it is close, no matter who wins, I think it's going to be very difficult. Mm. What that actually looks like is scary. I mean, I'm thinking some possibilities of Mm. what it could look like. But it's scary what could happen in our country Mm. when people don't feel the government is legitimate. Mm. And I'm fearful in a close election, no matter who, who wins, that people will not feel the government is legitimate. Mm. And and then, you know, there's all sorts of scary things that can happen. Right. Well, and I think what I'm struggling with as a Christian is there's a part of me that wants the great political unifier, like the person that is going to walk in and be the president that brings us together. And it's like, how close is that to looking for a savior? You know, so I'm even trying to, like, think back you know, who are great political unifiers. I mean, I think Abraham Lincoln comes to the top of the list. Um, I think we're finding out that the story is a little bit more complicated historically, you know, just his response in the Civil War. Um, I think conservatives would argue that Ronald Reagan was probably the great unifier. I think liberals would argue that FDR was the great unifier. And there's a part of me that pushes back against myself. It's like, you're asking someone to essentially be a savior, but then there's also like, no one really wants to be president and all of a sudden. So how do you, as a, as a sociologist, as a Christian, how do you kind of walk that fine line with these? Because it's becoming increasingly less desirable. Like when I was a kid, sure, you know, maybe become a president. I don't see kids my age or you know, at this time saying that's what they want to become and rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very hard. It's going to be very hard to be a unifier in a country so polarized. Uh, it's, I'll use, I'll use COVID as an example. Uh, when we look at things such as masking, shutdowns, mm-hmm. things of this nature, they're all political. Mm-hmm. There's, Democrats want shutdowns, Republicans don't. Mm-hmm. Democrats want masking, Republicans don't. We're talking about disease. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a virus. And instead of looking at the research, 
And and my my point of view, my research, I, the research I've looked at shows. I, I think shows that shutdowns don't work. Masking does. Hmm. And so why not look at the research? And go okay. Let's not shut down the country. Let's use masks. Let's use social distancing. Let's give it under control. That seems reasonable. We can't come to that conclusion because if if you pontificate hmm. that, Democrats are more likely to say let's shut everything down, and Republicans are more likely to say let's take off our masks. Hmm. It's become a political partisan tool. How do you unify this? Mm. I mean, if a disease cannot unify us, what would it take to unify us? My fearful answer is the only thing I think it takes to unify us, short of Christ coming back, is a war. Mm. And maybe even not even then, because they would be like, maybe it'll take an aliens war, where we can't blame them. Because <laughs> uh, you know, if, if we go to war someone, they're going to blame our party was in, in control. So maybe not even a war can do that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, you know, it is, uh, you know, I don't know how you unify a country where, where people see the other side as illegitimate. And that's what's happening. Hmm. How, do, how do you do that? I, yeah, that, that's a good question. So in this sense, uh, it's hard for me to totally blame either political party for not unifying, since I don't know if you can. I can say, though, that neither party is acting like they want to unify. Mm. I can't say that. Not, not, neither one's really trying to unify. Mm-hmm. But even they try, could they truly unify a country as fractured as ours? That, that's, maybe, and maybe that's why they're not trying. In trying, they may make it harder for them to succeed. So I mm. think that that is something that's worth thinking about as well. Mm. Yeah, wow. I mean, it sounds like as you're describing, there's this sense of individualism maybe that's rising to the surface that we we as a society have always kind of embraced kind of the 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 american mindset is kind of this individualistic kind of mindset anyway but Mm -hmm. like the longer that plays out the more intense that becomes the more uh that we lose sense to anything bigger than us um and we become our own reality and um, I think as, as if I'm hearing you right, that's you're describing this sense in which we are we are we're kind of tribalists, so to speak. Um, ordinarily speaking, we would have had people around us to balance us out, to give us perspective, to give us wisdom. And we just don't we don't have that in our current state is, is am I understanding you correctly in that? In, in- yeah, yeah. And. I think individualism plays a role, but maybe in a different role than the way that you're looking at it. Okay. You yeah. Know, I don't want, no, yeah, that's good. You're uh, the professor. I'm just, I'm a student. Just, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm not a professor of political science. Okay. Well, I yeah. Mean, just a professor. I'm not a professor. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder whether or not individualism has created an atmosphere where people want meaning. Mm. And, 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 and Christians are guilty of this too. So even mm-hmm. though I'm, I'm a, I'm a couch in this way. Trust me, I've seen a lot of Christians that are also guilty of this. Mm-hmm. If you don't find meaning in in uh, in God or something like that, mm-hmm. you'll find it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You and one of the avenues is politics. Mm-hmm. So if and so, for some Christians, even though they say they're Christian, they find meaning in their, in their politics. Mm-hmm. So if you're a critical race theorist, and that's where you find meaning. You find meaning in, in correcting our racialized society and ending white supremacy as you see it and things of this nature. That's where you find meaning. Anyone who gets in the way of that meaning is an enemy and has to be dispatched. In the sense, they're, they're like Satan. Right. 
they're like we treat Satan mm-hmm. and, and demons. That's how you see them because they're getting in the way of accomplishing your 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 goal. Mm. I I wonder if individuals has driven us towards that, mm. towards looking for meaning in other ways. And one of the ways we find some people will find meaning is in their politics. And politics, it, it may be that is not necessarily the R and the D as much, but if there's a certain issue that drives you, environmentalism, for example, uh, you wind up being a, a, a D, even though environmentalism is a thing that you find meaning. And therefore, even though being a Democrat or a, a liberal is not what you find meaning, is environmentalism, this is your team now. Mm. And the other team has to be. Right. And so that could be, I think, I think that's part of what we're seeing happening here today. Mm. So I'm going I'm to butcher this quote, but Scott Sauls, who wrote the book, A Gentle Answers, used it. It's shown up a lot from you. And um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You said, I, I've struggled in academia because I'm a Christian. And then I've struggled at church because I'm black. And, and I guess I'd love for you just to expound your experience because, you know, just we, we want to so simplify everything and I think one of the reasons that makes your story compelling, and I think you're writing a book, is because in some ways, you know, I could probably sense even from that small quote, you feel a little politically homeless um, in the sense of, I can't call one party each. I just, I, did I get that quote right, number one? But then number two. Well, a, I, yeah, I'm, I mean, the quote is, I face, I face more racism. I mean, I face more discrimination as a Christian and academia. It's not even close than as a black. Mm. Outside academia, I face more more discrimination as a black rather than as a Christian. So that's mm. that's a precise quote for what's worth. I uh, yeah. So I I would say right now my home is the American Solidarity Party, which is a third party. So in that sense, I'm not politically homeless. I'm politically homeless if you look at the Republicans and Democrats. I don't want either one of them at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's where I'm that's where I'm at. That's that's where I put my energy to. I'm a member of the American Solidarity Party. I, I do think that Christians have to be careful. And I, I went through a stage in my life as a Christian where I did not vote because I didn't want to be involved in the secular system. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm no longer there, okay? Uh, that was probably more my young, more idealistic stage of life, which we go through. So I, I, I'm not saying Christians should not vote or be involved in politics or anything like that. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I do think we have to be careful about making it our God. Hmm. And just because we, we show up in church and we pay our tithe and we read the Bible and pray does not mean that we can also not also have a God uh, of, of politics. Hmm. And I think a lot of Christians have made that their God. And so I think we have to be very careful about that. That in the way I would frame it is, you know, where are you getting your sense of meaning? Mm. Your sense of meaning from from your relationship with Christ, or is it from winning political victory? My pastor has a really had a really great saying around 2011, and uh, he's preaching, and it's right before the, the election. And he said, "If you wake up tomorrow and you find the election results, and you think we're saved, or you wake up tomorrow <laughs> find the election results, you think we're destroyed. Either way, you have put your faith in the wrong thing. Because you have thought that." Winning the right, right person winning or right person losing was our salvation or was our destruction. Mm. And I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, of course. But I like that perspective. That So I have friends on the left 
well, Democrats are friends of the right, well, Republicans, and then some friends, well, independent. I can live, you know, I, I'm cool. My Christian friends voting for Democrats or for Republicans. I don't agree in that I'm going to vote for them, but that's fine. Where I struggle more with is when they vote for that because they think this is their salvation. Mm. And their party loses. It's the end. And I just don't believe in that. It'll change life, clearly. It's not yeah. the end. Yeah. Wow, that's a deep statement. That's a very deep statement. And I'm just sitting here like letting that rumble through my head for a little bit because I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. As you even described your experience, I'm wondering, you know, you said there was a, se a season of your life where you, you didn't vote because you didn't want to be part of that system. What, what kind of led you out of that time for you? And you said, you know what, I, I want to be involved in, in, yeah. in another way. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm trying to think of, uh, of what led me to vote. I think, I think what led me to vote was during Obama's first presidential run. Hmm. Uh, there's a part of me that wanted to be part of that, mm -hmm. that, uh, that uh, you know, first black president. Mm -hmm. and, and while there's things I appreciate about the Republican Party, there, you know, there are things that uh, I just, I've seen excesses there. And so that sort of excited me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I came to the conclusion that no, politics should not dominate me. But if I don't participate, then I'm leaving it to others to participate. And so why not do my duty, at least vote? Mm -hmm. uh, and, so, and so obviously I voted for Obama and I had a very split ticket. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, you know, the Democrats have lost me and the Republicans have lost me. So, mm -hmm. so you know, it is what it is. I, I would not vote for Obama today. He's right for president. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that that's where I'm at. And and so I, I do think that those of us who are who think through these issues, who are thoughtful, probably should be voting more than those who don't. But of course, in America, everyone has the right to vote. Mm -hmm. It does disrupt me. <laughs> When I find out that celebrities are posing new pictures to encourage people to vote, so as someone who votes because they saw a new celebrity, their vote counts just as much as mine. You know, yeah. What can I say? But uh, I can I can just vote the best that I can, and then we'll see where we go from there. So one of the things that I think it would be really good to hear your perspective. So a lot of our listeners are you know skeptics, seekers. Um, maybe they're de-churched and you know there's quite you know from someone that um is not associated with the democrat or republican party i just i have two questions based on that the first one is can you help people understand why someone for christian reasons would vote for trump and biden and then i think the follow-up question to that would be you know what hope does christianity give to a polarized election that we're not talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, talking to my friends, I think that the reason why people would vote for either one would be the same, just they focus on different issues. So if you talk to a Christian Biden supporter, a Christian Trump supporter, they both say they're voting for them because they care about other people, they care about humans, human mm -hmm. rights. Of course, a Christian Trump supporter is looking at abortion and, and religious freedom. The uh, Christian Biden supporters looking at immigration policy and racism. But they both would tell you, you know, 
because of human rights, I'm voting for my guy. Uh, and so in, in one sense, they're voting for the same reason. Obviously, there are exceptions to this. But mm-hmm. I, one of my friends, that's what I hear from them. What's Christian have to offer? I think what we have to offer is to the degree that we create our own community, our own values, and that we are not beholden to one part or the other, we can be a voice of correction for both parties. Mm. When we choose a side and join that team instead of the Christian team, now you can vote be part of the Christian team. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you can vote be part of the Christian team. But when we join their team, what we're saying is my team can do no wrong and therefore I have to defend them at all costs. It, I've, I have criticized my Christian Trump supporters for defending Trump no matter what he does, almost. Mm-hmm. I do think there's some of that on the left as well, mm-hmm. that no matter what a progressive does, they will defend that person at all costs. If you're a Christian, that's not allowable. Mm-hmm. At our best, we're a critique of both parties. Mm-hmm. At our worst, we give ourselves totally over to a political party instead of instead of Christ. Mm. And I fear many Christians on both sides of the aisle have come, have come to be worse. Mm. So if we could really have a community across political community, across racial community, and be a critique of both parties, I think that we would show a way towards having values that transcend political parties. But as long as we are going to either be on Team Trump or Team Team Biden, that won't happen. Mm, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's such a beautiful way to describe the the possibilities of what Christians could bring to the table. Unfortunately, like my heart aches a little bit as you describe that because I'm like, oh my goodness, it's so it seems so far away at the same time. You know, like I I see such we're so easily influenced on either side. I'm not, I'm not picking yeah. sides here. I'm just saying on either side, we're so easily influenced to join that side and dig in our heels and defend no matter what. Um, can you paint a little picture for us? Like what it might look like if we were to live this out practically, like calling, calling the system out for in this way or that way and living in that maybe uncomfortable in between. Honestly, it's not a comfortable spot to be torn back and forth. Um, That's certainly, but uh, you know, following Jesus was never supposed to be comfortable, I guess. Um, So could you paint a picture for us of what, what, what that might look like? Yeah. If we had a Christian community that was not beholden to the party, Mm -hmm. we probably have both parties supporting us and mad at us at different times. (laughs) So, what if we had a community that pulls away from, from not from party membership, but from really making the party your idol, mm-hmm. pulls away worse other Christians of different political persuasions, mm. and, and at times unites together. I'll give you an example on immigration. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of progressive Christians realize that some degree of border control is valuable. And there are concerned Christians who realize that you can't just can't split up families. Hmm. What if those Christians got together, some of them vote for Democrats, some of them vote for, vote for Republicans, got together and worked at having a holistic immigration reform. And when Republican senators or Congress people got out of line, 
the Republicans in that group call them back in the line. Mm. When Democrat senators or representatives get out of line, the Democrats in that group call them back in the line. Mm. And we can move our country forward towards real immigration reform. I think it could look like that. That's one issue. I think it could look like that uh, if we were lucky. You know, George, it just makes me think of an example. I just talked with someone that was associated with politics, and um, this was probably about a decade or two decades ago, but, um, you know, Ted Kennedy was involved, a Democrat, and of course, the Shriver family have all helped people with special needs. And, you know, it just, it, it made me think about this example that, you know, here's Ted Kennedy, one of the most liberal senators working with Republicans on a bill with people for special needs. And what you just described there is we have seen that in politics. And, you know, I'm careful. You know, I, I love history. Like, I don't think it's a Henry Clay compromise, you know, and I think Henry Clay, you know, again, pro- some historians probably going to tweet us and tell me I'm wrong. Like he was trying <laughs> to, like, stop the Civil War just by putting all these compromise and he was a great politician, but I think long-term, yeah. but there have been moments that you're talking about. Um, I think of Matt, Matthew Sorens, who has both supported Trump when Trump does things for human trafficking, but then supported Democrats for caring about refugees and immigration. And it there's just these beautiful examples that we don't have to work as hard as we think we do to find common ground in Jesus even while having a different political perspective. Yeah, I, I agree that we could we could do this. It'd be very, very difficult to do. Uh, you know, talking about, I was thinking about uh, Bono, who worked with George Bush, mm-hmm. who probably is not considered a Republican, mm-hmm. but the issue was world hunger. Bush was open to work with him. Bono was open to working with him. And, uh, and, and that, I, I got that right. That's mm-hmm. the uh, YouTube singer. Yeah, yeah Bono. Bono. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bono, okay. All right, all right. You're good, you're good. See, yeah. I'm a professor, but see how how badly I messed that up? <laughs> uh, Bono. Bono, Sonny Bono. That's yeah, yeah. way back. Yeah, yeah. Bono. I, I think about him, you know, I think that that's an example of Christians could do. I assume that they have different political persuasions, and yet world hunger was mm. an issue. We do have issues out there that are so pressing. Human trafficking. Mm-hmm. You don't think a Christian would want to oppose human trafficking, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we could work together, and it's sad that we don't. It's sad that we have engaged. Here's here's my uh, test. If you're a Christian, if the way you sound politically is exactly like the way a secular person sounds in your political party, then Christ has not shaped your political ideology. Mm. Uh, you just adopted the ideology of that political party. Wow. So if we could stop doing that and actually work towards kingdom goals, it would be such a powerful witness in our society. So our, our question's been focused about what's, you know, what's the worst in us? Um, you know, we're recording this right after the vice presidential debate. So I guess my question to you is, is there anything in this season that's revealing the best about this country? Um, and of course, this is going to air, you know, right before the election. I guess I'd be curious if you're seeing anything good that's coming out of this We've been pretty down, and we'll get to the Jesus question, don't worry, but I guess I'd be curious from your perspective, what are you seeing that's good in this season? Yeah, that, that is interesting. I uh, I do think there are some people who have seen 
that both parties are not doing what they should do. And so I do think we might see a growth of third parties mm. pretty, pretty soon. I, I would count that as a good thing mm. uh, that we have a growth of third parties because it could pull people towards, I hope, better solutions. You know, but it is hard to really point out really good things that are happening in our political dynamics. You know, we go, I want to get this happening in our education system and, and economic, but I just see so much polarization. It's, it's really hard. I'm grateful for people like Joe Manson, Manchin, uh, West Virginia. Uh, people like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, the guy from, from Nebraska. Uh, oh, he used to be the that. college president. Um, should look him uh, up. Yeah. I, I appreciate him, even though I can't remember his name. Yeah. I appreciate people who are willing to work with others across the aisle. My my concern is there's just so few of them that uh, that that's why we don't get things done. Mm. Mm. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. Ben Sass. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really good. I, I just I think this conversation has been such so enlightening and given us so many things to think about and and I think challenged us in some really appropriate ways and I hope for people like Peter said our, our our goal of this podcast is really to give people who have deep questions about God an opportunity to to ask them even if they aren't you know part of a church that they could they could ask them and I think you've done a really good job of of painting what a Christian perspective of this could be not that we certainly have have lived that out as a, in our country as well as we could. So, um, but I think the ultimate picture of that, of course, is with Jesus and, and what would Jesus have to say about this? And that's how we end all of these times is just reflecting on Jesus and what he would have to say about this. So, um, Peter, you want to go first? We will let you have the final answer as the professor and we will, we will just do our best to fumble around with it ahead of that. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm coming back to what George said that his pastor said that if you wake up and you either think it's the end of the world or you're celebrating, you know, so joyously because your candidate won, and this is the week before the election, you know, there's something about your heart. And I, I, I go back to Ephesians two, you know, Paul, the writer of Ephesians two says, Christ himself is our peace. And I think we misunderstand peace. Peace is not just the ceasing of conflict, the ceasing of violence, peace actually has to do with shalom, which in, in the Jewish sense is wholeness. Um, and I, I think the reminder to us, you know, about the politics bringing up the worst in ourselves is the bad news opens us up for the good news. So, I mean, the fact that this conversation has been more negative helps us realize where we're actually putting our hope and it's probably not in Jesus. And I think what that doesn't do is that doesn't make us passive that we have peace and wholeness in Jesus. It actually makes us want to make a difference in this world. So whatever candidate, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, that doesn't change the fact that we value every human created in the image of God. Um, that means we care about the issues of abortion, racism, redlining, and all of those things because Ultimately, someday we want to, in human trafficking, we want to work our way to experience the peace that we'll have in heaven. And so for those of you out there that why is this bringing out the worst in us, 
in some ways the bad news opens you up to the good news for you to be part of a world that you can make a difference through Jesus Christ. And and in some ways, I, I hope you all vote, it doesn't matter who wins. And and the call of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is this, whether I'm the one that's benefiting or I'm the one that's ostracized, whether I'm the one with opportunity or without opportunity, I'm seek to love other people outside of my tribe in such a way that they can experience the power the grace, and ultimately even just, you know, removing the challenges and barriers. And I think that's what Paul does in Ephesians 2, is he says the wall that divided Jews and Gentiles has come down because of Jesus. And I think we have to not just say that or or proclaim that, but we have to live that out, no matter if you're Republican or Democrat. So, hmm. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think about Jesus in the midst of this. I, I think the last conversation we had about the election, I talked about Barabbas and, and Jesus, and I think that's a very real, it's still, even in the context of this conversation, that's a very real analogy. But I think about Jesus before Pilate, again, at the crucifixion, and Pilate is a man with all this, all the authority, political authority uh, in his hands at that point. And he looks at Jesus, and he's confounded by Jesus, and and here he is, this very powerful political person, and he says, you know, why aren't you answering me? You know, I I have basically your life in my hands, and Jesus just looks at him, and he and one of the only phrases that he utters to to Pilate in this time is, you don't have any authority except what's been given to you from heaven, and. There's a there's a real sense I think when we start following Jesus that the if we're really leaning into him we realize he is the ultimate authority uh, and there's a beauty in living for him rather than putting our hope in a political system or a political person there's a beauty in following Jesus that it might cost us things in this life just like it led to him being crucified but. But in the end, it's worth it. And I think it's it's very essential for us to grasp that, that following Jesus is worth it, even if it comes at a cost, and uh, because he's the one with true authority. And um, that's humbling, but I, uh, there's also something peace, peace-giving about that at the same time. So that's how I, I don't know, that, that's where my mind goes with this. George, we'll let you finish it off, though. Sure. Uh you know, it's always humbling to think about Jesus and, and his role in our lives. Mm. And, uh, you know, how would Jesus think about this? I mean, Jesus constantly told us that he is the bread, he is the truth, he is the life. Mm. That's through him that we find salvation. And salvation to me is, n- is not just fire insurance. It is also living a full life, mm. living a, a fully human life, uh, living out our calling, living out our purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus intends for us to have insufficient purposes. And one of the sad things about politics is, uh, even though issues could be life and death, drastically important, I don't think politics provides us with that sort of purpose that Jesus can provide us. Mm. To some degree, I feel bad for some of my far left, far right friends, whether they're Christians or not, because they're seeking something that's not going to give them the fulfillment they want. They're seeing something that is going to be inadequate, and I know it's going to be inadequate, but they're not willing to stop and think about it at this point in time. Hmm. So I think what Jesus would want, regardless of who wins, is a 
a body of Christ that is focused in on on following him, on not being so beholden to one group or another that you can't critique them or say anything good in, in other people who disagree with that group. Uh, to find truth and, and purpose within Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what political party that you're in in order to find that. It matters in your relationship with Christ. And so I think everything starts off with that relationship. And then once that relationship is established, you might want to start thinking about where you want to vote. Hmm. But, rather, but voting is not going to create that relationship. That relationship only comes because Christ allows it to be, and we've accepted as an invitation. And we're moving towards the fulfilling lifestyle that uh, he's going to allow us to have. So that's where I would come from on, on this. And so it does disturb me when I, especially say Christians, when I see non-Christians, I, you know, I have a, I have a three-year-old. Uh, he gets dirty. It's what three-year-olds do. Mm. You know, a non-Christian who is wrapped in politics is what they do. Mm. But it does disturb me seeing Christians get so wrapped in politics that they, they believe that whether Trump wins, he is the angel and, and it's gonna be okay. If Trump loses, then it's gonna be the demon. Everything's gonna be good. You know, that sort of thing we gotta get away from. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I'm in it there. Wow, Dr. George Yancey, he has a column on Pathios. If you wanna wa- uh, read more of his material there, um, you know, he's working on a couple projects. So for those of us in the academia, those of us, uh, those of you, I'm not in academia anymore. Yeah, well, we're kind of, you know, you know we're we, on the edge of academia. We're on the edge. Yeah. So uh, make sure you follow him there. Uh, my name's Peter Englert. Make sure you go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Leave us a review on your podcast app and then share this episode using hashtag WGW podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. 